Daniel 6.28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus. I'm going to preach on this thought for a few minutes this morning. How in the world did Daniel make it in Babylon? I want you to think about this first for a minute. So Daniel prospered. He, now this wasn't talking about just a financial level or a level as far as his position in the kingdom, but he prospered on every level while in Babylon. You know, it does my heart good as a preacher to see young people to grow up in Christian homes and determine to do right, and uh, they get married and have children, and they prosper, spiritually prosper, in Babylon. Now, I wish it was everyone, I wish the percentages were higher, and a lot of times those that fell and those that crashed get much more of our attention, but I am thankful for those that make it, and I think as parents, really knowing Daniel's story, everyone here knows Daniel's story, is taken into uh, captivity in the, there in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar and various others, we see him prospering, but I think as parents, we don't have enough focus on making sure that our kids make it in Babylon because they're barely making it in Judah. I mean, all the walls are set. The standards are high. You've got people that love you and authority that's helping you and accountability. You have everything in your favor and you can't make it in Judah. How in the world do you think you're possibly going to make it in Babylon? Now, Here's what I want to tell you that it wasn't. Good things, but these weren't the key. Now, in Daniel, you see excellence. Excellence isn't something that is part of DNA. You're not born excellent. You're taught and developed in excellence. God uses average, ordinary people. Aren't you thankful for that? How many read the story of Gideon? Every time I read that story, I think, my goodness, that's pathetic. What a pathetic man to be chosen as a leader. But God can even use pathetic people. Hey, if we took pictures of Brother Matichera and Pastor Robert and, and Pastor Mark and Brother Cam Larry, and I knew this guy a few years ago, Joshua Lee and uh, Brother Gillespie and myself, if you saw us at 10 and 12 and 14, uh, corduroy pants and afro, big, dark, ugly glasses and... Very little potential. Now, you've seen the pictures. You you know that most of us at 12 and 13 were geeks. Have you ever seen a 13-year-old that actually knows how to walk? It's the weirdest thing. They know how to walk fine. You know, they learn by the time they're six, they walk fine. And then they turn 13 and suddenly they're awkward. They're like... They, they don't even know how to lean. You know, they're like... Perfecting geekism. Aren't you glad that God can still use that? Have you ever seen a 13-year-old with all his geekism in one package throw himself down on an altar? God calls him to preach. And when he's 24, 25, 28, 30 years old, you don't even remember what kind of weirdo that person was at 18. They actually know how to comb their hair, brush their teeth. Next, you wear deodorant now, iron their clothes. Aren't you thankful there's a process there that takes place and God can use anyone? So, 
Now, don't, don't turn me off just because we're looking at the cream of the crop here. Because Daniel was excellent. Daniel was one of those that was found in the palace. Verse 4, look what the Bible says about him. Children in whom was no blemish. This young man had already been taught and developed in excellence. There was no blemish in him. He's well-favored, skillful. Look what the Bible says about him. He had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. Now, parents, this ought to be a motivating factor in our lives, saying, you know what, I want to develop in my child enough skill and wisdom, enough excellence, where he can stand anywhere necessary with the rich or with the poor and do okay. Look what it says in verse 19. It says that they found none like Daniel. What a statement. Verse 20, they found them ten times better. Now, let me just say this. This takes a lot of work. Obviously, the parents had invested a lot in rearing these children, developing certain qualities and characteristics in them. These parents had emphasized character. These parents had emphasized, look what it says in verse 4, it emphasized wisdom, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in all wisdom. Now, let me just say this. When we speak of excellence, young people, there is no baby on the planet born excellent in wisdom. That just doesn't happen. So we take that child, we put him into school, we begin to teach him. But at some point, that's a choice because wisdom can't be forced upon you. Wisdom has to be sought. You have to make a decision. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to improve. I want to be a sponge. I want to learn as much as possible about everything possible because I want to be successful in life. Now, how many people, preacher, how many young people could we say, could we find, could we identify these young people that are desiring to be excellent in wisdom? They're learning. They're approachable. They're teachable. Anybody can come to them, approach them, rebuke them, instruct them, and not only do they want it, they seek it. That was Daniel. That's why he excelled in life. That's why he was preferred. That's why he was favored. That's why he was chosen to work in the palace. You know what, young people? You should not be on a mission to perfect stupidity. You know, you ought to be able to interact on the level of your age or above your age. You ought to be able to get with a adult and do something besides stand there and go, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, yes, sir. You know, once you get past 13, you ought to be able to carry on a conversation with someone on some level. You know, there's, there's several levels of life, stupid, dumb. Less dumb, getting there, getting better, still looking dumb but not sounding as dumb. Now, at some point, you've got to get past those levels. How many of you, you're still at that very awkward stage and you prefer to be with five-year-olds because you appear to be smart? Like, sit down and listen to me. I'm the old person here. And they look at you like, you're dumb. Now, young people, 
We're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about excelling in life. We're talking about prospering. And it's going to take a process. It's going to take some effort. But it's going to take desire on your part where you say, I want to become wise. That means you're going to have to read. That means you're going to have to surround yourself with wise people. That means you're going to have to listen to your leaders. Have you ever noticed something about your leaders? They're very proper in every circumstance. Here's what I appreciate about Brother Pope. If he's with people that are wealthy, he knows how to sit, he knows how to talk, he knows how to communicate, he knows how to mingle, he knows how to mix. He doesn't become them, but he knows how to behave himself in their presence. I've been with him to the hospital. He's very appropriate in those circumstances. He's not saying, how'd you break your leg? That was real smart. I bet you'll never do that again. I mean, the guy just rolled a truck, smashed his insides, ruined his kidney. I bet you don't have enough guts to do that again. There's a man that's wise everywhere he goes in the situation that he encounters. That's not natural. That's something that is learned. And young people, if you're going to excel at some point, you're going to have to get past your excuse, well, I'm homeschooled. So that means I'm going to be weird. Don't look at me like that. I homeschooled my kids. But I told my kids at some point, you've got to get past weird. It's got to happen. We've got to find a way. Because you've got to move out of the house at some point, and you can't be weird forever. You've got to move from weird to wise. But at some point, your kids have got to be able not to become Babylon, but to excel in Babylon. Listen, Babylon was trying to cram everything from its language, its philosophy, its diet, its habits. They even changed these young men's names. They wanted these men to become Babylonians, and they said, no, we can excel without becoming Babylonians. We can excel and still promote our God and still talk about the true God and still stand on principle and still do right, right here in these circumstances. But we have a generation so weak they can't even excel in Judah with Brother Camillary and Brother Folk investing all their time and energy into them. Because at some point, your kids will have to deal with Babylon. That's just a fact. They need to become, at some point, excellent in wisdom. Look what it says in 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. He would not defile himself. At some point, you need to become excellent in integrity. Look what it says about Daniel, chapter 6, verse 4. Daniel 6, 4, then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. They could find none occasion nor fault. Now, you know, it's a couple things here. Number one, when he was brought into Babylon, he had already predetermined, I will not allow myself to be defiled. Young people, if you can't keep from being defiled in this environment... If you can't stay out of sin and temptation in this environment, 
where all the peer pressure is going the right way, and you have a mom there and a dad there and friends that are there and pastors that are there saying, don't do that, stay away from that, avoid that, and they've taken the majority of the temptations out of your path, out of your reach, where you don't even have access to a lot of temptations other people deal with. If you can't do right here, where in the world are you going to be able to do right? You better at some point purpose in your heart, I will not defile myself. Now listen, Daniel had plenty of opportunities to do wrong, and he didn't take advantage of any of those opportunities, although away from his parents, although away from those believers that would normally surround him, although out of his country, out of his environment, when faced with temptation, he said, I won't. And listen, his enemies got out their binoculars began to watch him and said, we'll catch him, listen, during his secret time, during his private time, when he's all alone, late at night, early in the morning, we'll observe him, we'll find something to accuse him. Day after day, hour after hour, they put private investigators on his tail, they bugged his phone, they watched his every step, they checked his credit card, they said, surely he's going to make a mistake. And he didn't. That's called excellence in integrity. His moral character had been established early in life. And then he had made... Now listen, moral character established in you by a church or by a family is of no value unless you personally make that determination. I will not defile myself. Because you have an opportunity. At some point, you'll have an opportunity. I was raised in a Christian home. With a dad that swore he'd kill us if we ever did wrong. And a mom that prayed, oh God, my son, if he doesn't want to repent, just kill him. When my mom prayed that, boy, it helped you focus. God, I choose life. That steered me clear of a lot of temptation in life. But listen, at some point, did you know at college I had an opportunity to do wrong? You know, my first job, I worked at a box factory, third shift, scum of the earth. And it, there was always temptation, there was always invitation, always people trying to pull you, always people inviting you, whether it's drink or to a party. But at some point, you had to stand on your own two feet and say, I have made a determination, I will not defy on myself. And when we have kids that are 18, falling into peer, pre- peer pressure in this church, that means 450 people that want to do right in Six that want to do wrong, and you came to one of six? You are a pathetic person with the people of God, and you still can't purpose to please a perfect Heavenly Father. You need to become excellent at some point in your integrity. Let me say this, young people. Listen, you better guard your purity. It'll leave scars that you'll never overcome. Pain. You know what? Here's the amazing thing. In your youth, you have enough strength and stamina to deal with the consequence of sin. So you sin, but here's the problem. Sin's consequence comes with about 165 monthly payments. So imagine this. So if if you want to know about sin, go out there and buy a car and say, I don't want a seven-year note. I'd like a 27-year note just so I really know the true value of this vehicle. And if you can do me a favor and make the interest payments about 68%, 
That's the way sin is. So, the longer you pay for that sin, listen, you can pay, young people, you can pay for your sin mentally, emotionally, physically. You can pay for your sin when you're 27, 28, 29, 30. Come talk to me when you're 42 and 43. Your emotions are tired of paying for that same sin and staying up at night and agonizing over something you did 18, 20, 25 years ago. You know it's forgiven. You know God has forgiven it and forgotten it. But you can't do that. You better make a decision right now. I'm going to stay pure. I will not defile myself. I will maintain excellence in integrity. But that's not what helped him make it in. That's part of the equation. But that's not what helped him make it in Babylon. Daniel chapter 5, verse 12. For as much as a what? Excellent spirit. Now don't tell me, Pastor, you're taking this out of context because it's talking about a spirit of knowledge and understanding and interpreting dreams. Humor me for a moment because he still had an excellent Spirit, speaking of attitude, seen in chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred. Why was he preferred above the presidents and princes? Because an excellent spirit was in him. Young people, you know but why there are leaders that have favorites? Yes, we have favorites. If you want to know, yes. I have people that you have favorites. and Obviously, I do. Your critical, sour, angry, hurt spirit keeps you off my favorite list. You think I want to spend time with that? Well, why don't you like me? Hmm. Tough question. Let me think about it. I don't like to be around someone with a stinky, rotten attitude. Boy, I enjoy, I don't care if they're three years old or 33 years old, if they have a great spirit, I want to eat lunch with them, I want to go sewing with them, I want to do things with them, but boy, a lousy spirit. I don't care what kind of talent. I don't care what kind of knowledge. I don't care what kind of ability they have. I don't want to spend five minutes with you. Well, you gotta, you're almost fearful nowadays to ask people how they're doing. Yeah. They might tell you. You know, as soon as they say, well, brother, okay, end the conversation. I'm waiting for someone to walk by and interrupt. You know what? I forgot something in the car. Call my keys and I gotta get out of here quick. I mean, young people, I don't understand. You have everything in life. You got a free house. You got free rent. You got free lights. You got free food and free clothes. And you, you, you wake up mad. You wake up angry. You wake up sad. What's wrong with you? Tired. Get over yourself. The world wakes up tired. You think everyone else just jumps out of bed and goes, yeah, woohoo!
If you have a good spirit, you can still be preferred despite your other defects. But when you have a proud spirit, a haughty spirit, a hurt spirit, a wounded, young people, you know what we have? Just a generation, we've made this whole, entire generation a victim. You know why? We don't even know the basis of Christianity. You know what changes you from a victim to a, a victor? Forgiveness. And we don't have any heart of forgiveness. Listen, God has forgiven you of all your sins, but you can't forgive an imperfect mom, an imperfect dad, imperfect friends, imperfect pastor. Trust me in life. Everyone at some point will let you down. Now we have 12 and 13 and 14-year-olds with a wounded spirit. At 13 and 14 years old, I hate my dad. Why do you hate your dad? Listen, he pays the bills, takes you out, buys your clothes, never gets drunk. He yelled at me. Kids are bitter at 14 and 15 and 16. Well, I've been hurt. Someone betrayed me, and I don't like life, and I was forced to do this. And I... Did you realize everyone living on this planet, an imperfect world, has been hurt, betrayed, upset, mistreated? I don't want to demean sexual abuse because that's a lifelong scar. But there are millions that have taken the grace of God and gotten up and moved forward. And you've got to make a choice. I will allow these things to destroy me. You can live the life of Absalom. You know what? When Absalom got that hurt, bitter spirit, you know who was first wrong? David. Amnon had sexually assaulted his sister. And David was the king, and he was supposed to execute judgment. And he did nothing. Absalom said, I must take right into my own hands. And that hurt made him a murderer. And then David did wrong because he ignored that. And then he didn't even talk to his son for three years. Saw him and then waited another two years to speak to him again. David messed up and messed up and messed up and messed up. But David was still called a man after God's own heart. Absalom died the death of a fool hung by his long rebellious hair. Yeah. Although David was wrong and imperfect and felt as a father, it was Absalom living with a hurt and wounded spirit that destroyed his own life. Young people, would you look me in the eyeballs? You live hurt, wounded, you're only destroying yourself. At some point, you better get a hold of the concept called the grace of God. And here's why you're bitter and hurt and wounded because you're dealing with a parent that's never gotten a hold of the grace of God. And you're going to repeat their life. You're going to relive their mistakes. You're going to live the same sorrow that they've lived and experience the same pain that they've experienced because you won't forgive. Keep your finger in Daniel. We'll come back here for a minute. Hebrews chapter 12. Look what it says in verse 15. The Bible tells us something about grace. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Does the grace of God fail? No. The grace doesn't fail. We fail to live in the grace of God. And he says, be careful that you don't do that, lest what happen? The root of bitterness spring up 
You know why you're troubled? I'll tell you why you're troubled. It doesn't say lest your dad trouble you, lest your mom trouble you, lest your circumstance trouble you, lest a friend trouble you. It says lest a root of, that's a root of bitterness that is troubling you. You better fill up, you better wake up every morning. I don't care if you're 13 or 23. I don't care if you're a grown lady, married or unmarried. You better get a hold of the grace of God on a daily basis. And let me tell you this, women. Chocolate is not a source of grace. Well, you know what I need? I need a chocolate. You know what I need? I need an ice cream. You know what I need? A day off. That is not the source of grace because you'll wake up tomorrow with the same circumstance, the same husband, the same children, the same bitterness in your soul. You better understand God is the source of grace. You're in trouble. Several years ago, I was hunting with my brother, and I wanted, listen, we were out on a big game ranch, and this was an opportunity of a lifetime, and uh, we went out for the evening hunt. I hadn't shot my deer yet, and uh, we're going out, and it's a very big ranch, and uh, Dole said, we're going to have to go into town. I said, what? It's nearly dark. This is perfect time to hunt. You tell me we got to go... I don't have any gas, and if we're going to drive out there on the ranch and get stuck somewhere without gas on this property, have to find our way back in the middle of the night, I said, Joel, what were you thinking? This is my kid. You're killing me, man. A root of bitterness is springing up. We go drive all the way back into town. He said, I can't take the risk of running out of gas. And here's what we have Christians doing. They're trying to live and they take a risk every morning of not filling up. And halfway through their day, they're out of grace. By noon, we got moms that are out of grace. Out of grace with their kids, out of grace with their husbands, out of grace with life. Because you haven't filled up first thing in the morning your grace tank. Now you're stuck. You're frustrated. Now, here's the scariest part of this whole situation. It says that root of bitterness will spring up. It'll trouble you. And then what happens? Everybody around you gets defiled. The kids grow up thinking mom is crazy. I don't want to get married. My mama is nuts. You say, who put that in their head? Someone's been talking to them. You've been talking to them. How do I get past that? Fill up your grace tank. But here's what's amazing. It's amazing to think kids are in this condition. This wasn't part of my generation. My generation, they just said, wake up, get up, do right, read your Bible, be a man, suck it up. But now, oh, my poor man, when you, who heard you, who treat you like that? Didn't mean to be the folk, didn't mean to be folk. He took you on a, he made you ride your bike for 62 miles. And you fell down. He didn't even step for you. No wonder they're bitter when they're 14. They've been babies their whole lives. Overprotected. And then, uh, as soon as they get a little emotional hurt, they can't forgive. Uh, now, here's the worst part of all. Look at the connection. When that happens, two things result. Let there be a fornicator or a profane person. Here's what you find the root of fornicators. Bitterness. You better be careful. You get a kid that goes bitter, he's going to become a fornicator. He's going to become profane. Or, and we've seen it and we've seen it and there are no exceptions. They take the holy and they make them profane. Church is no longer holy. Hymns are no longer holy. Prayer is no longer holy. Purity is no longer holy. Nothing is holy. 
What's the root? Bitterness. Then watch out. You're raising a fornicator. You've allowed that child to live bitter. You noticed it when he was 13. You noticed it when he was 15. You noticed it when he was 17. You are rearing a fornicator. You will produce a profane child in your home, in this church, in this environment. You allow bitterness to take root. You better emphasize an excellent spirit. That spirit means you live forgiving people. Because everybody around here will let you down at some point. You tell me who could have been hurt, wounded, and had a bitter spirit. Someone yanked out of his home, taken captive, had another culture and language forced down their throat, said, this is the way you're going to live. Daniel could have, but in the midst of that, he had an excellent spirit. Daniel chapter 2, verse 49. Daniel had excellent friends that he had personally chosen. Daniel 2.49, Daniel requested the king that he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat at the gate of the king. How many remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yeah, the same ones that looked at the king, the same ones that said, when you play the music, we're not going to bow. The same ones with enough backbone to stand up when everyone else, even the Christians around them, were bowing Daniel said, that's the type of friend that I want in my life. Young people, did you know just because someone's saved doesn't mean they're going to be a good friend for you? And parents, get over yourself. We've got so many pious parents walking around. Well, he doesn't want to be a friend with my son. Maybe they're not a good combo. Did you know you can have two good people in the same church, but their personalities don't help each other, so that means they're not going to make a good friendship? Well, why don't you hang out with George? Why don't what he and George do together? He and George shouldn't be together. Here's the nice thing about the ministry. These guys back here from Capital City know who my friends are. I pick my friends. You see, you're kind of a picky person. I need help in life, and I'm going to choose people that bring me up to a different level. You know what I appreciate about Brother Tamler, Brother Ouellette, Brother Davis, and these men that we bring into Capital City I want spiritual men with spiritual backbone that are humble and transparent, that love God, that are passionate about souls, and they help take me to another level. And there are others. There are a lot of good men in this nation, but they don't have the same impact on me, so I'm not going to take their time in order to create a friendship that won't help either one of us. I want to handpick friends that help me out. Brother Tim Fuller helps me out. Brother Volk helps me out. Brother Campbell helps me out. You need to find someone on a spiritual level that will help you out. Young people, you latch on to people. Yes, you should be discipling someone. Yes, you should be winning someone. Yes, you, can, you should take someone underneath your wing and help them reach a different level. But you don't surround yourself with that. You surround yourself with people who will help you out spiritually. This is, why, this is why Daniel stayed strong in this circumstance, because he chose, he could have chose thousands. Listen, don't you think there are people beating down his door to become his friend since he was basically second to the king? Daniel, you got time for a dinner? Daniel, you got time to uh, get out and do something? Hey, Daniel, you want to swing by our house this week? No, no, can't do it. Love to, just can't make it. Daniel, what's up? Uh, I'm getting together with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Got a prayer meeting going. 
good choice of friends. Now, parents, I just want to tell you something. This is not the reason why he made it in Babylon. Wasn't his excellent wisdom because there are a lot of Christians with excellent wisdom didn't make it in Babylon. Wasn't his excellent integrity because I've seen good kids and good homes and good environments five days in Babylon lose their purity because it wasn't their moral integrity that kept them safe. I know a lot of people went to Babylon with a good spirit and came back ruined by this world. It wasn't his excellent spirit that kept him and made him prosperous in Babylon. It wasn't his good friends. Although good friends are a great help. Say, what in the world was it? Well, read the book and you'll find a predominant theme. And that was Daniel knew God. What was the difference between Samuel and the sons of Eli? They were sons of Belial because they knew not God. Young people, I'm disturbed and the longer I live and the longer I pastor, the more disturbed I am and we're losing our kids. And the factor is always the same. Always can be traced back to this root. Too many kids in this environment don't love God. Never grew up with a personal relationship. Tell me about your Bible reading. You can't think straight in Babylon unless you're deep in this book. It's not just blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, because he was stuck in the counsel of the ungodly. Standeth in the way of sinners. He was stuck right in that way. He was sitting in the seat of the scorners. He was stuck there. But what made the difference? His delight was in the law of the Lord, and in his law did he meditate day and night. Young people, you have an opportunity that Christians have not had. And listen, there were more young people doing right in the previous generations without a Bible, without a church, without Scripture written in their language, without MP3s, without iPods, without the help of a Bible app. And you have everything at your fingertips to make it easy. You've got Bible in your car. You've got a Bible in the church pew. You've got Bibles in your home. You've got Bibles in your bathroom. You've got Bibles in your bedroom. And you still can't find a way to read that book. You're not going to make it in Babylon. Because your mind is crazy. And this world is crazy. And this world will only make your mind crazier. And you've got to wake up. Listen, I am a preacher of the gospel. And the first thing we do, we made that happen a long time ago. We take that phone with a Bible app and we put in Scripture and we listen to dozens and dozens and dozens of chapters. And then when we get done, we get ready, we eat, we turn on the Bible app. And then when we get in the car to drive to school, we turn on the Bible app. By the time I get to church or by the time I get to school, I've already heard 15 or 20 chapters of the Bible before I even start my Bible reading. Then I'm making a trip during the day, got 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you can listen to three Bible chapters. You better be filling yourself. Any times I, listen, I don't listen to music. I know some of you do and you love I don't like anything that plays with my emotions. But here's my replacement for music. Anytime I feel a little emotionally unstable, I turn on that Bible app and I start listening to Scripture. Listen, if you've got time to text and you've got time to do all this crazy stuff online through social media, you don't got a minute to turn on a Bible app you tell me, I don't want to walk with God. If you thought about previous generations, if they wanted a book of the Bible in their language, they couldn't get their hand on it. 
centuries like that. How did Daniel do it? He didn't have the New Testament written in his language. He didn't have half of the Old Testament written in his language. I don't even know how much of the Word of God he could get his hands on. He walked with God. And you, in this generation, without trying, can fill yourself with 40 or 50 chapters a day. And you talk to some of these kids. What did you read today? Ben. You're not going to make it in Babylon. I don't care if you wear the shirt and sing the song. You're a member of the choir. I don't care what you're doing. You're not going to make it in Babylon. You're not going to do it. Not in this world. You're not even going to make it in the church environment. You're going to bounce around from church to church until you make some community church. Your family's messed up. Your kids are messed up. Your life's messed up. Because your relationship with God was messed up. Every time I deal with a personal problem in the church, the first thing I ask people, they get tired of it, tell me about your Bible reading. Oh, and then those that lie, here's what they'll say. Oh, I read it. Okay, tell me about it today. Well, I didn't have time today. Oh, that's what I thought. Nor yesterday or the day before. So tell me specifically what you've been reading. Well, you know, I just kind of, you know, pick a chapter for the day. Okay, tell me the most recent chapter you read. Oh, um, well, that's what I thought. You're not in this book. I've got a 12-year-old that can tell me details. It is hilarious when she starts reading through Deuteronomy. Because every two or three days I ask him, I say, what are you reading? What have you been reading? What's, it, what's God giving you? What's God speaking to you about? We just had some beautiful conversations on the way into school. You know what Daniel made it about? Huh? The personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see one more text and we're done. Ephesians 3. Parents, now I'm going to preach to you. Here's the problem. My biggest fear of pastoring. We've put all of our emphasis, or about 90% of our emphasis, on the exterior, on spirit, integrity, friends, and those things we mentioned in the life of Daniel. And we've succeeded. And our kids have moral virtue. And for the most part, pretty good spirits. We've handpicked their friends. And then when we lose one of those children, we look, we sit there, and we say, how is it that I did everything according to this book and I still lost my kid? Well, number one, they have a free choice. And at some point, they have to choose. And you pray that they choose right. And you better understand when you go through this whole process, you give them every opportunity to do right. There is no guarantee. That's why we fall on our faces every day and we plead the mercy of God the Father because in the end, He has a free choice of free will. And if He chose wrong in a perfect environment, you think yours is more perfect than the paradise that God put them in? They have a free will. But number two, you better focus on their inner man and people. Here's why I've made a mistake for years. My prayers, we get with our kids and we pray every night, Oh God, would you give them a good name? God, would you fill them with wisdom? I've prayed for their financial situation, their future mates, and everything that I can think of to pray for them. But Paul gave us some specifics in how to pray. Look what it says in verse 14. It says, This cause I bow my knees unto God the Father, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Verse 16, he gives us five things to pray for. Number one, that they may be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner 
man. You know what? At some point, our focus has got to change past the external and go to the internal because we've got the external all taken care of. But inside, there's a serious problem. And here's what I want my young people. Listen, I want my Bible college students. I want my staff. I want my children to be strengthened by the might of His Spirit in the inner man. Now, how focused are you on the inner man? How concerned are you about the inner man? How much time do you spend in prayer over their inner man? Because they're going to need strength, if not at 14 and 18 or 21. Oh, God, would you strengthen them in the inner man by your spirit? This is why you better teach them to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. This the Holy Spirit works through this book. This is why you feed them the Word of God so the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting in a church pew when they're 18, 19, 20. Feel nothing. I don't care who you preach and who screams and what they mention. They will leave here and feel absolute. They can fornicate and feel nothing. They can drink and feel nothing. They get drugged up and feel nothing. Because we've concerned ourselves with externalism. You better get focused on their inner man as much as you are in their outer man. Because you've been, let me just look around the auditorium here for a minute. Yeah, just what I thought. You have perfected the outer man. But I promise you this, that doesn't guarantee anything in Babylon. You better be praying that they're strengthened in the inner man because that's where the battle will be. And that's where most lose it. No inner man strength. The first little wave of pressure, the first temptation. They haven't established a walk with God. They haven't established a love for this book. They haven't established time on their knees. When's the last time you wore out your knees praying for your child? Oh, God, would you strengthen them in the inner man? That Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. That's not talking about salvation. That's talking about dwelling comfortably. I thank God for Brother Camillary. I thank God for those ribs. I'm so disappointed in Texas after eating the New York rib Brother Pamela's house. But you know what? I enjoy the brand new bedroom and the nice remodeling of the bathroom and everything else that's been done in that place. But I cannot dwell there as comfortably as in my own home because anything I want to change in my home, I change. You know when God will dwell comfortably in your heart? When He's allowed to change anything He wants to change. Anytime, anywhere, middle of the night, middle of the day, I just want to move the furniture around. Why? I just want to do it. I just want to be comfortable. Number five, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Parents, what if we changed our approach and we made a promise just to simply take Paul's prayer and say, I'm going to pray this for my children. God, would you strengthen Billy? the inner man, with your might, by your spirit. 